Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. verse. Um, While we're turning and transitioning, um, let let me recommend a resource to you. This is in light of uh, the current study we're doing right now. This little book is called um, Slaying Leviathan. Um, I think it's one of the most helpful books uh, I've read in a long time. Um, And it is particularly on this subject that we're talking about right now. And what what he does in the book is trace through church history Um, how the church has helped shape the world. Um, Christians have shaped empires. Uh, Christians have helped influence nations in how citizens and governing leaders are supposed to behave and conduct themselves. Um, Over and over again, God has used the, the people of God to teach the world righteousness, and this is another one of those categories of what is the role of the state, what is the role of citizens, et cetera. Uh, We've helped the world come to greater understanding of these things. And what he does is kind of trace through the last 2,000 years how the people of God uh, have been used to do do just this. A great deal of this history has been forgotten, and it must not be. This is relevant to every single uh, day of every single century uh, on this earth. If you were only going to read a measly little five books in this next year, make this one of those. I would encourage it. Um, And and along those lines, um, on our new website, big thanks to uh, Nathan Barnett for putting this together. Uh, One of the things that he asked that we would do is uh, he asked me to put together a recommended reading list. Um, So I did that and broke it up into some categories. One of those categories is the top books to read right now to understand the world and what is happening. I have this book on that list and some others encourage you to check that out. All right, now let's go to the text here. Romans chapter 13, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 7, then I'll pray and we'll spend some time looking at what's here. But please read along with me if you have a copy of the scriptures. If not, uh, just listen, beginning in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's bow and pray. 
Merciful God, we ask that you will send your spirit and give us help. Please shine light on your word. Please bless everything that needs to happen for this to be a profitable uh, time of worship as we look to you in your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you will bless this time. Uh, Father, we ask that you will form our thinking. We pray that you give, under, give us understanding in these truths, but Lord, as you so often do in your word, you're not only showing us the reality of the specific truths we study, but Lord, you're always helping us to understand this world that you've made, your statutes, your principles. You're helping us to understand ourselves and your will for us. And most significantly, you are helping us to understand you and your glory and how we relate to you and what your great purposes are, where you're bringing all of history to its rightful end. And in doing this, you're, Lord, transforming us. And so, God, we pray that you do all of this and, and more. Please, God, give me help to speak. Uh, set a guard over my lips, but at the same time, grant me grace to be able to speak in a way that's useful. Um, I, I pray, oh God, you bless all of us as we receive your word. Uh, I pray that we'll meet it with faith. Stir us to be submissive. We ask, oh God, you be with our little ones uh, who are learning your word. Please bless them. We pray that there would be souls saved from among them this morning as they hear your word taught. So please, oh God, magnify your name. Bring about your purposes and use us as individuals and use us as a church, Lord, to significantly impact this world for the establishing of your kingdom on this earth. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. God formed Israel, gave them his law. He gave them the, uh, the, the, the statutes regarding righteousness, like in the Ten Commandments, but he also gave them his civil law, the civil laws of their nation. We discussed some of this last week. He established them as a nation, but there's something glaringly obvious that he did not give them. Now, as you consider what he did give them, um, you know, he established all kinds of systems in place for their nation. He established a priesthood um, and a way to worship him. He established a system of elders throughout the communities in the nation who would decide disputed matters. He established the principle of judges. He established a, a system of justice and court proceedings. You know, our, our modern ideas of court proceedings and uh, how there is the, the giving of evidence and the weighing of those things, all of that comes from the Bible. It needs to match more closely to the Bible, but all of it comes from the Bible. God established all kinds of systems in place for their nation, but there is something glaringly obvious that he did not give them as a nation. He did not set over them a king or a president or a prime minister. Okay, we understand the analysis there. Other nations had kings, and we talked last week about the origin of the state and the origin, or origin of rulers and such. But over Israel, God set no king. And do you remember why? The reason is because, technically and really, they did have a king. God was their king. Now, later in Israel's history, you, you come to the book of Judges. And if you've never read the book of Judges, 
It's one of those books of the Bible you're surprised by what God included in the Bible. It is a dark and gritty book filled with accounts that you go, whoa, God put that in the Bible? But there's a major point that is revealed in the book of Judges. See, see, the people of Israel went through a cycle that they repeated many times over. And the cycle would go like this. The people would rebel against the law of the Lord. They would reject him. They would go after other gods. They would ignore his law, etc. And then God would send them judgment in the form of neighboring nations coming and attacking them, but it had a purpose. The purpose was to drive them to repentance. When they were in despair, then they would cry out to God and think, what an idiot we have been, and they would return to the Lord. When they cried out to the Lord, God would send them a judge, a savior, a deliverer, a champion, who would lead the people to shirk off the oppression of the neighboring nations, and then they would come to freedom once again. They would live a season of some relative obedience, and then the cycle would repeat itself over and over again. But throughout, whenever they would live in those seasons of, of, of darkness and rebellion, it was some pretty dark stuff, and there is a, a line that is repeated numerous times over in the book of Judges. It's the theme of the book. You remember what it is. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, knowing what we know about how God established them as a nation, that he set no king over them and it had a purpose, and then keeping that in mind with what I'm going to tell you next, that when Israel did choose to set a human king over them, the Lord was angry about that. If those two things are the case... Why does the book of Judges regard it as a negative thing that they had no king? Well, there's a principle that is revealed. In the era of the Judges, they did technically and really have a rightful king, but the whole point is they did not regard him as king. God was their king. They had a king to direct them. They had a king to lead them into righteousness, but they rejected the rule of the rightful king. And then the era of the judges came to an end when the people said to Samuel the prophet, who was also the last of the judges, they said to Samuel, set a king over us as the other nations have. Samuel was grieved and he went to the Lord and prayed. And God said to Samuel, do not be discouraged. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. And God was angry over the fact that they asked for a mere human king to be set over them, that there was a rejection of the Lord. And God then told Samuel what to go tell the people. And what Samuel went and told the people from the mouth of the Lord was this, if you set a king over you, this is what he will do. And then God listed off a, a long line of the various kinds of aggravations and tyrannies that the people would face with a human king over them. This king will take of your sons and he'll put them in his army. He'll take of your daughters and make them bakers and cooks. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and he'll give them to his servants He'll tax you a tenth of your produce. Bear that one in mind. He'll take of your best of your beasts and use them for himself and et cetera, and et cetera, and et cetera. And listen to this part. 
Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. And here's part of the point. Israel rejected the Lord as their king and chose a sinner. They chose a weak, finite worm when they had the opportunity to have the king of kings as their king. And as God so often does, we just talked about this Wednesday night in the book of Proverbs, God gave them what they desired. God gave them what they wanted. It's over and over again that the way that God works is um, in an act of discipline or judgment, the people want something and God says, I'm telling you, you don't want this. And the people reply, oh yes we do. And God says, okay, I will give you what you want, but I am telling you, you will groan. And as we're actually reading in the, we're in first Kings right now, we see the people groan under the human rulers that they ask for. But like so many of the Old Testament events that are recorded um, are intended to do, I believe this is another one of those moments that in Israel's history, there is actually more that God is demonstrating. There are some things about all of mankind that God is demonstrating in this. That kind of thing is done all the time in the Old Testament. There are immediate truths in the immediate account that happen. But there's also ways that God is demonstrating bigger truths that are there. We once, we as all of mankind, once had God as our king. In the beginning, in the garden, we once had the perfect, the sinless, the wonderful, the glorious, the gracious, the righteous king as our king. But we rejected him. We rejected the one who sits on the throne of heaven and we chose a tyrant. We listened to the voice of a serpent. We chose a tyrant and now a tyrant we have, the prince of this world. We rejected the one who sits on the throne of heaven, the one so glorious that the angels will not even look fully on his face and we chose someone lesser. And really, every time we groan under the aggravation of human kings and presidents and rulers and mayors, etc., there is a message being preached from heaven. You could have had the king of kings. But God is working by his grace. He's working and bringing redemption to this world through the work of Christ. This world will one day be set right. And there is one whom the father has made Lord. He now sits on the throne of heaven and the angels bow before him and recognize his right of rule. And we who are on the earth who worship the Lord Jesus, we recognize his right of rule and we announce something to the world. And it is a part of the message of the gospel that we announce to the world one day all will bow. One day all will recognize the right of his rule and all will give submission. This is part of the message of the gospel. And, and Christian, this is where all government is leading. This is where it's all heading. Every empire of the earth will eventually grow old and decay. They will wear out like a garment, Hebrews says. 
as Daniel saw in his vision in Daniel 4, the kingdom of God whom the Messiah would bring will grow and grow until it becomes the mountain that rules over all of the earth. It will become the kingdom that lasts and endures forever. His kingdom will reign, and this is where all government is leading. That's an encouraging thought for us Christians. But we also have to bear this in mind when it comes to where are we right now and what is God's will for us for the time being until we see Jesus on his throne and all creatures bow to him and recognize his rule for this age right now, earthly government led by mere humans is God's will. We ask for it. This is what God has given. And it is the case that right now in this age, it is a restraining grace. That's part of the point that Romans 13 is making. So while it is the case that one day, and we are looking forward to the day when the Lord Jesus rules and there will be no more earthly sinful kings that we have to put up with the aggravations concerning for now, God has ordained earthly rulers and governments to have authority. They have an authority that is given to them from God, and we are to submit to that authority. And the reason why we are to submit is because it comes from the Lord himself. We've begun working through this section of Romans 13, which is addressing all kinds of these matters, these realities. Last week, I introduced the section and we got started on the, the first major truth, the first of nine uh, major truths in the section. Today, we pick up with the second and I'm intending to look at uh, points number two and three. If you've got a bulletin with you, I've got the outline in there, the nine major truths that we're looking at. Uh, today, we pick up with number two. So let's get started with it. Major truth number two is all authority is ultimately from God. Look at verse one with me again. So the first phrase here, the first sentence is where we took last week's point. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And then here's where we pick up the second point. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. The concept of authority is what ties this whole passage together. Uh, the word authority is used uh, six times in these uh, seven verses. Now, the, the Greek word here, this is not one of those I think like everybody needs to remember. The Greek word here, though, exousia, um, it's used six times. It is an interesting study if you go look at how it's used throughout the New Testament. One thing that is important for us to understand is that there is a distinction, there is a difference between the word authority and the word power. A difference between the word authority and the word might. But think through this whole concept with me to help us understand what this means, to get a bigger picture. First, God possesses all authority. It might seem obvious, but we do have to start here. God possesses all authority. He does not possess most authority. It's not that God has the most, but then, you know, people of the earth, they have some on their own. No, God owns all authority. Um, Psalm 50 in it we read in verse 7, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. 
For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all it contains. God owns all, and as the owner, he has the right to rule. And then to the Son, Jesus, Jesus has received from the Father all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, the, the passage of the Great Commission there, Jesus gives the final instructions to the church before he ascended into heaven to take his seat at the right hand of the Father, ruling over uh, heaven and earth. But before he begins that passage, the very th first thing that he says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and then he gives the church our marching orders. In John 5, Jesus said, all judgment has been given to the Son. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, and by the way, all of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews would really illustrate this point. But in, in, in verse 3 there, uh, speaking of Jesus, it says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The rest of the uh, chapter there in chapter one goes on to describe Jesus's rightful authority as the Lord who sits over heaven and earth. In Ephesians one, it speaks of the reality that the Father has put all things under the feet of His Son. That's another way of, of using this same kind of uh, language, just, just another way of saying it. And then there is the, the promise that Psalm 2 records. If you're gonna understand the world, you gotta understand Psalm 2. I say that occasionally about various chapters of the Bible. If you're gonna understand the world, you gotta understand Ephesians 1. And if you're gonna understand the world, you have to understand Psalm 2 as well. In Psalm 2, the father speaks to the son and says, you are my son. Today I have begotten of you. And he goes on to say this, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Christian, this is what is now happening in this world. If you want to understand the cosmos, what, 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 is, what is God doing? What is the purpose? What, 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 where is all of this leading? All of this is leading to all of the nations, every creature bowing before the Lord Jesus. All of the enemies being brought into submission. God is glorifying his name. He is demonstrating and showing his glory, his might, his wonder. He is demonstrating his glory by the building of his church, the, the establishing of his kingdom on this earth, and he is bringing this history. All things are working to come to the consummation at the end where every angel and every soul of man, every creature, every molecule, it is all falling on their faces before the Lord Jesus and they confess him with their lips as Lord. Every friend and every enemy. This is where it's all leading. Everything is leading. All things will be put right because it's all under authority as it should be. And there will be order. 
There's a ton more passages from the Bible we could look at. God has authority. And, and hear our English word there. Author, iti. As the author. God has the power and God has the right to write the story however he wants it to bring about this world in whatever way that he wants it. So if you remember when back whenever we were studying God's sovereignty, we said this is the definition of God's sovereignty. God being sovereign means that he has the might and he has the right. He has the strength to do whatever he wants, but he also has the right to do whatever he wants. He can do what he pleases and no one has the right to challenge him. No one has the right to question him. No one has the right to point a finger up to heaven and say, you shouldn't have done that or you're not allowed to work this way. Nobody has the power to do that, we understand. But it's also the case that nobody has the right to, to try to call God to task. He is the author. And as the author, he owns all. And as the owner of all, he has the right to rule over all. And thank God he is holy. He always does what is right and what is good. There have just been thousands of years of sermons preached um, from Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As the owner, he has the right of rule. And his authority is an infinite authority. Uh, you're in the book of Romans. Uh, flip back with me to chapter 9 for a second. In, in Romans chapter 9, this is really just a brief point that is made, um, but in this section we have this uh, uh, subject brought up of, of election and, and God's work of uh, predestining a plan for this world and including those that he would save. And, and the Spirit led Paul to anticipate an objection that somebody would raise against the fact of God planning history. Uh, anticipating a question, at least, that people would ask. And the question or the objection is, hey, that's not fair. Hey, God can't do that. That's, that's not right, okay? Well, look and see how the text answers this objection. Romans 9, look at verse 21. Excuse me, verse 19, back up there for the context. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? What they're saying is that's not fair. God shouldn't be allowed to do that. Verse 20, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use? and another for common use. So, so, so when the Bible anticipated question about what God does in the heavens and somebody saying that's not, uh, that, that, that shouldn't be like that, here's how the Bible addresses it. The potter has a right over the clay to make it into whatever he wants to make it into. And speaking of his right, that is his authority. God has the authority to do as he pleases. He has the power and he has the right and his right is his authority. And by the way, you can trace this uh, whole subject in the gospels as well. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because it's a major point in, uh, in, in regard to the father revealing who Jesus is. Jesus is not a mere man. 
He is eternal God with the Father. He is the divine Son of God. But the people didn't know that. So how did God plan for that to be revealed to the world and to us? That, that Jesus, the Messiah, uh, he is the divine son of God. Well, here's one of the ways that it does that. The gospels show Jesus's authority is authority that is equal to God the Father. So, so th this is a theme in the book of Matthew, for instance. So you'll have Matthew show Jesus's authority over the demons. Jesus's authority over creation. Jesus is able to speak to the storm and the storm obeys him. Try that yourself sometime. Jesus has authority over diseases. Jesus has authority over the bodies of men. And then there's a big one in Matthew 9, 6. If you remember that occasion when Jesus said to a certain man, your sins are forgiven and the religious leaders bristled up and they got angry because, well, you, you can't do that. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Bingo. Light bulbs, okay? And Jesus, in order, in answer to their objection there that, hey, you don't have the authority to do that, Jesus said this, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. The healing demonstrated uh, his authority in the invisible realm. The major theme, God owns all authority, and the Lord Jesus possesses the full measure. And then, by the way, here's the next step. Okay? So God owns all authority. Here's the next step. Out of God's full and complete authority, he grants angels and men certain amounts of authority. There's a major point made in Matthew 9. This is brought up several times of Jesus' authority over the demons, over the unclean spirits, over the uh, souls of men, authority to forgive sins, etc. And following right on that heels, uh, you come to Matthew 10, 1, where it says this, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits. How did the apostles come to possess authority over unclean spirits so that they could speak and the uh, unclean spirits would depart? Jesus gave it to them. He delegated it. If they had tried that before Jesus gave that authority, it wouldn't have worked. Jesus delegated, granted them authority. And along those lines, this is now helping us to understand how it is that God grants authority to rulers and fathers and etc. on the earth. Uh, look over to John 19 for a second. John 19, the context, uh, Jesus has been betrayed and arrested and he now stands before the Roman authority Pilate. We will probably return to John 18 and 19 later because this is one of the places that God reveals more here. But for today, we'll just look at uh, chapter 19, verse 10. Pilate asked Jesus a question and Jesus did not answer him. Pilate doesn't like that. Here's what happens. Verse 10. So Pilate said to him, do you, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Oh, the audacity. The ant speaks to the heavens and says, do you not know I rule over you? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. 
for this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus recognized that Pilate did have authority on earth. How did he give that authority? It had been granted to Pilate from heaven, from above. And so here's the principle the scripture reveals. Earthly rulers and governments have authority because they have been granted it by God. They are not given limitless authority. That's part of what we need to talk about in Romans 13. They are given an allotment for a purpose because the various authorities that God grants authority, they have responsibility. They have a purpose. They have a job to do. And God allots them authority in order to accomplish their job. Earthly rulers are not given authority to do whatever they want. They have a job to do, ordained by God, and they are granted authority to do that job. And then also see this, here's a, another step in this the same point. Not only has God granted authority in general to rulers of the earth, but God has specifically, is specifically involved in each and every ruler or authority who comes into their position. God is sovereign and he has ordained and is orchestrating every principle that the head of an electric company of a small town, okay? God is involved in every single one of these situations. You recall uh, the fact that God told Pharaoh, I rose you up, I put you on the throne. I rose you up in order to bring you low. God ordained for Pharaoh to be raised up in a position, in a situation where he would come to the throne. God ordained that uh, Pharaoh would be spoiled as a child so that when he came to the throne, he would be a tyrant so that God could bring him low before the eyes of all the people. So let's be clear. Pharaoh being on the throne was unpleasant. Pharaoh dishonored God. Still, it is in the ordination of God that he came to that place. Uh, in Daniel, God explains that he set Nebuchadnezzar on the throne over Babylon and that God gave him authority. Nebuchadnezzar did evil things. Don't misunderstand what it means that God puts uh, people on thrones. It doesn't mean that all they do pleases him. It doesn't mean they can do whatever they want. In the prophets, God said he was going to judge Babylon for the evil that they did. God demonstrates all of this, okay? In the book of Isaiah, God said that he named a ruler named Cyrus that had not even been born yet. And God called Cyrus, my servant. And in Daniel 2, 20 to 21, it says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. Fifteen other examples from the Bible that we could point to of God being involved specifically in rulers and etc. And so the point of this being here in Romans 13 is, is this. So an ungodly king, Caesar, president, prime minister, whatever, is in authority. The Christian can't say, well, I know Jesus is Lord, and this guy's evil, therefore I don't have to listen to him. Can, can you see how if we didn't have Romans 13, we would be very prone to come to that conclusion? I know that I would. <laughs> That's my heart's temptation anyway. 
So, you know, we have Christians who come to some of those perspectives, and we have Romans 13. If we didn't have Romans 13, you could see how it would sound really spiritual to say things like, Jesus is Lord, that, that guy, he's, he's crazy. He's an idiot. I ain't listening to a word he says. That's not legitimate, Christian. It's not legitimate. God has established uh, th th this authority on earth. The Christian can't say the president's evil, he disobeys God, therefore we don't have to listen to him, it's not legitimate. The principle is even wicked kings, mayors, whatever, are in their position by the uh, ordination of God. God ordained this, each ruler is in their position. Now, lest there be misunderstanding, however, okay, because bear some other things in mind. God put Nebuchadnezzar on the throne. Nebuchadnezzar did evil things, and the, the three Hebrew boys, they had a job to do to honor God when the king tried to get them to do things which dishonored God. You, you see where we're going with this. Just because God puts someone on the throne doesn't mean they can do whatever they want and that they have infinite authority. You know, uh, God put this king on the throne. You know, we can't say, well, we're not allowed to prosecute a king if he breaks the law. You know, if he puts a mayor, you know, in a, in a position, we can't say, you know, if he crosses the line out of his jurisdiction, well, we just have to do whatever he says. Okay, no, throughout history, God has actually put hundreds of rulers in positions of authority who needed to be arrested, put in jail by the parliament or the senate or whatever manner their day, what it looked like. No king, no president, no mayor, no principle is above the law. And can you see how Christians throughout history have needed to explain this to the world? Christians throughout history have helped uh, explain to the world there is a law above the king. The king is not God on earth. There is one who sits above the king. And in fact, uh, Samuel Rutherford, was one of the Scottish Covenanters. I've told you stories about uh, those guys in the 1600s. He, he, he worked extensively to explain to uh, the Scottish people of his day that the king himself was under authority. Uh, king Charles in that day was committing mass murder in horrific kinds of ways. And many of the people were using Romans 13 to say, hey, we can't do anything about it, he's the king. And Samuel Rutherford and many of the others were explaining to the world, no, you don't understand, there's a law above the king. Rutherford actually wrote a book called Lex Rex. It's Latin for the law of the king, meaning there's a position here. The king himself is under authority. The king is not allowed to do whatever he wants. And when the king breaks the law, he needs to be uh, prosecuted. So, so don't misunderstand what it means when we, when we see that God puts authorities in their positions. But the main reason this is in the text is that it is crucial for us to see where authority comes from. It comes from the throne of heaven and is granted on earth. Children should obey the authority of their parents, not because their parents are stronger than them, but because God has granted authority on earth. God has put these structures in place. This leads us to truth number three. To resist lawful authority is to resist God's ordinance. Look at verse two of our text in Romans 13, the first part there. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. 
This is why we are to obey earthly authorities. God put them there. This is his ordinance. And now, in order to more fully understand this ordinance and God's will, I think this would be a helpful place for us to continue a discussion we started last week. So I introduced last week the concept of uh, spheres of authority. We considered the occasion when Jesus was asked, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus responded, remember, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. And one of the things that this introduces for us, at least in the New Testament, is the idea that Caesar or the president or the king or the mayor or a parent has a list of responsibilities that their authority is granted to them to fulfill but each authority is to stay, stay in their lane. Each authority is to stay within the realm of the, the, the list that God gave them. So, so here's another of the numerous examples from the Bible. You remember King Uzziah in the Old Testament? King Uzziah was one of the kings of Judah, and he decided one day that he was going to go into the temple. That, first of all, he was not allowed to do. He was going to go into the temple and he was going to offer incense. He was the king and he had authority. But God had also given authority to the priest. So God had given authority to the state and God had given authority to the church. But King Uzziah went into the temple and tried to offer incense to God and he began to do it. And do you recall what happened? The priest came and resisted him. The priest very clearly let him know, you are crossing the line. And they pushed him out of the temple. And then do you recall what happened? God caused leprosy to break out on King Uzziah, and he lived the rest of his days separated from society as a leper. God dethroned King Uzziah for crossing out of his jurisdiction into a realm of authority that he did not have. And, and, and part of what is revealed in that account and dozens of others is there are various authorities that God has established and there is a, a box that they need to stay within. You might think of it like this. On, on the big blank wall behind me, picture four circles drawn up there. Four circles. Inside one of those circles, you could write the word individual. Inside the next circle, you can write the family. In the next circle, you can write the church. And in the last circle, you can write the state. Inside of each of those circles, that group has a certain amount of authority, a jurisdiction within that circle. An individual is given a certain amount of authority over yourself. And listen to me, it is really critical that you know that. It is critical that you understand that from creation, God has given you as an individual certain freedoms, certain rights, certain authorities over yourself. You need to know that Genesis 1, 26 to 30 applies to you. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God has given you 
a certain amount of rule over yourself. Now, you still answer to God. Every group, every one of these circles is under the authority of God. But you have a circle. You have a jurisdiction of certain freedoms, rights, responsibilities, and authorities that God has given you uh, over yourself and over your property. And in fact, that itself is one of those that is revealed in the Bible. Your property is one of those areas that God has designed to be under your authority. If somebody comes to try to steal your property, they are violating this principle. They are trying to invade your circle, um, step on your authority, and to take it for themselves. Your property is one of those. You know, um, carrying this out, a father doesn't have the right to take his kid's bike and go sell it so he can buy a new golf club. Okay? There's a certain amount of things we understand here, but the point is, there's an amount of authority you have over yourself, and, and, and just, if you will study history and look at the reality of the world today, can you see how crucial it is that Christians explain this to the world? It is absolutely crucial. You know, when people reject the Bible, they reject an objective standard of everything, where do they look to? Where do they look to for their, their understanding of justice? What's right, what's wrong, and what should crimes receive, etc.? When people reject the Bible, what, what do they look to for how the family should operate and how citizens should behave and how the state should operate? Where do they look to? The answer is, they go to themselves. When you reject the Bible, now you're floating out in the ether of space, you could go a thousand different erroneous places. You reject the Bible, you can get Kim Jong-un. You reject the Bible, you can get anarchy. It's a thousand different places you can go to if you reject the objective standard of what the Bible shows, this is what exists. You, you have to understand there is a reason why Kim Jong-un rolls people over with a steamroller when they're caught with a Bible. He is a wicked fool, but he is smart enough to understand what happens when people get Bibles. When people get Bibles, they come to understand that they have certain rights granted to them, not by their government, but from their creator in heaven. He understands that when people get Bibles, they see there's an objective standard that measures how government and rulers are supposed to behave and what they're supposed to do. You need to understand there is a reason why over and over again, uh, the, the places that have the worst kinds of totalitarianism, they burn Bibles. There's a reason why if you're caught with a Bible in China, you're in trouble with the authorities and you may get disappeared. There's a reason why over and over in all these places, they don't want people having Bibles because when they get Bibles, they understand reality and objective standards. I know I'm a little bit off subject here, but I am illustrating the point here. The Bible shows you as an individual have certain authorities rule over yourself and we are to see this. Now listen, don't lean lopsided, okay? Don't lean lopsided we are also under authority. Your authority doesn't extend to infinite <laughs> amounts, okay? We, we are under authority, but there is a certain amount of rule that God has given you for yourself. Can you see how Christians have influenced the world in this? Okay, so that's one circle. In the next circle, 
consider the family. There is a certain amount of authority that God has granted a family. Within the family, God has ordained a, a structure and responsibility, and God has given parents the authority to carry out their responsibilities. So parents, you have the authority to educate your children, okay? That is an authority granted to you from God. It's not an authority that's to be used for selfishness. Fathers can't do whatever they want. And the same goes for the authority that God has granted the church. God has granted the church a great deal of authority. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. God has granted the church authority to fulfill our purpose and our responsibilities. And by the way, there may be more circles than what I've just mentioned, how many circles there are that's debated. I'm just introducing the subject to you, but the last one I'll discuss is the state. Within the circle of the state, there is a collection of duties, responsibilities, permissions that God has given them to fulfill their purpose. But part of the point is we need to understand not any one of the groups possesses unlimited authority. Every group has a limited authority. Every ruler on earth has limited authority. So if the church tries to cross the line out of its jurisdiction that God has given it. It's not to be done. That is leaving its authority. So in history, uh, in Sunday school, Pastor Ben's teaching through church history, we do see times that the church passed out of the jurisdiction that God gave it. I used the example last week of uh, what if I, we passed a motion in a business meeting where I tried to require everybody to work out three days a week and, and said that that was, must be done. That's, that's passing out of the jurisdiction that God has given us. But the same thing goes for the state. The state does not have the right to tell families how they must arrange the authority structure within the family. The state doesn't have the right to tell families that they're not allowed to educate their children or not allowed to speak certain words. The state doesn't have the, the right. we think of, a, think of a, a local city mayor. City mayor has authority, has a jurisdiction. The city mayor is not allowed to tell husbands and wives how many times a week they're allowed to be sexually intimate, okay? That's crossing out of the line of what they're allowed. Now, when I say things like that, sometimes people think, oh, there's pastor going and being exaggerating again. I'm not being mean when I say this. I'm being very serious. If you think that is extreme, you need to go study history. And not just history, you need to study the world today because way more outlandish things than that and things so graphic, I'm just, I won't get into them. That exists today, let alone throughout history. This is always a reality in this cursed world. It is always a reality that in numerous places on this little bitty planet right now, there, there are states that are uh, grievously crossing the lines into these kinds of things. Right now in the world, there are more than 30 countries where it is illegal to speak the words of the gospel. We're talking about pronouncing words out your lips. That in your own home, it is illegal to say a sentence like, Jesus is Lord. More than 30 countries today. If you were to include just a little bit more, of the places where it is illegal to speak other truths of the Bible, so there are places where you can say Jesus is Lord, but you're not allowed to say homosexuality is sin. If you include those countries, that's a big list. 
like all of Europe and Canada. This is relevant, Christian. This is relevant. We have a job to do. We are to announce the world, most importantly, the message of the gospel. But we are also to inform the world of righteousness in all regards. And we are to inform the world of righteousness in these matters as well. So it is important that we understand how it is that God has delegated this authority. Okay, let me bring us to a conclusion here. You've got these four circles pictured on the back wall, hopefully. These four spheres of authority. Now I want you to do this. I want you to draw a big circle around every one of them in your mind. But I want you to imagine the circle is infinitely large, an infinitely large circle. That is Jesus's sphere of authority. Every square inch of it, every thought. Have you ever thought about how much authority Jesus has? Even our thoughts are to be in submission to his rule. Nobody else has authority like that. Jesus has authority that covers every square inch, every, every molecule on the farthest corner of the farthest planet dust particle out there that we don't have a telescope big enough to see. All of that is Jesus's. It is important that we understand that because sometimes people can get to thinking, well, there's the church, that's Jesus's, and then there's the world's. No, it's all Jesus's. It's all under his rule. The individual is under the lordship of Jesus. The family, the church, and the state is all under the authority of the lordship of Jesus. It all submits to him. It is all under his authority. And one day, it will all recognize his rightful authority. And to become a Christian, to become a true Christian, someone who is right with God means that Figuratively speaking, you bow the knee to that rule. And I, I say figuratively because I, I don't mean that like uh, becoming right with God, having forgiveness of your sins comes when you literally put a knee on the ground. It comes when you turn to Christ in a way in your hearts that you trust in him. And the Bible uses the word repent which means to turn away from sin, to change your mind about it, and to come to Christ. And so it is to come to Christ in a way that submits the heart to him, to believe and to turn. There is a kingdom that exists now, and it will one day bring every other kingdom to bow its knee to it. It is the eternal kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Before you turn to Christ, you are not a citizen of that kingdom. So if, if you're here today and you have never turned to Christ to be saved, and we know the world mocks that kind of language, all that matters is what God has spoken from heaven. If you have never turned to Christ to be saved, then what the Bible says is you are not a citizen of that kingdom. You are an outlaw. You are a criminal. So were all of us at one time. We are criminals to sin is to break the law of the king. It is to break the law of the Lord Jesus who sits on the throne. But Christ came in order uh, to make a way through the cross and his resurrection to bring us to where we can be made right with him. You can become a citizen and you can become a citizen before the next two minutes are up. If in your heart you will turn and trust in Christ 
and you will believe on him, you will submit yourself turning to him and pray and tell him that you believe and that you want to be saved. This is our great encouragement to you. Look to Christ. There's nothing more, nothing more critical that you need. You must become a citizen of this kingdom if you are going to have eternal life in this kingdom. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Well, please bow with me to pray and then I'll give some instructions regarding the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for what you have created. We continue to be in wonder at the order, the structure, the ways that you have worked. We submit to you as Lord, Lord of heaven and earth. We pray, O oh God, that you will extend your reign so that more and more will submit to you. And we pray, O oh God, for ourselves that we will submit more of our lives to you. And we pray for any in the room that has not yet turned to Christ to be saved. We pray that they will. Draw them to yourself, O God. We pray these things through the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.